This is Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Uh, hello and welcome to Dialogue Sunday Study. Today, uh, April 24th, 2022, um, with, today with Maria Manchos, who's there on the screen. Welcome, Maria. For purposes of tracking with our Sunday School program, um, we try to follow or stay with the Come Follow Me program. Uh, today, we're working with the second half of Exodus, as it turns out. If you look at the Come Follow Me program, you'll find specific chapters called out. But because we work with the materials that would be reading for the current week and next week, it adds up to basically the second half of Exodus. And that's where we are today. But today we will be actually talking about Maria Manchos's selections of the second half of Exodus. I'm Chris Kimball. I'm conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Um, we have Michael Austin with us in the background and Rebecca Deschweinitz in the foreground, um, also from the Dialogue Foundation. Um, we're using our webinar format in Zoom and we're live on Facebook. And uh, I need to note that we are recording this session. Um, we'll follow the chat. We try to follow comments on Facebook as well. And we'll introduce, as Maria was telling us as we started, um, we'll welcome comments and questions as appropriate as the lesson goes on. Um, now for, for a bit of uh, dialogue advertising. In the first issue of the journal, Eugene England wrote, my faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. To fulfill that vision in the 21st century, we have now made the current issues of the journal um, including the spring issue that's just out, uh, the Mother in Heaven issue, um, free online, all of our archives, 54, 55 years of archives, free online, um, all of our digital offerings, including these Sunday study programs. And that requires a new business model. So we are shifting from a subscription-based model to a um, contribution um, sustaining dialogue fund model and raising money to make to have a, a sustaining fund that will continue dialogue for the next 50 years. Um, we ask for your help in building that fund. And you can find out more at sustaining dialogue about sustaining dialogue at give to dialogue.org.com. It's a dot com, sustaining dialogue.com. Um, a word about our next program. So that this is, I, I call it advertising. Um, we will have a gospel study lesson on Mother's Day, May 8th. Um, Mother's Day lesson with Rachel Hunt Steenblick. We also have a dialogue and review program on May 1st at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, where contributors to the current issue the current spring issue on Heavenly Mother will be gathered and speaking about um, uh, their work and, and that issue. And we invite you to both of those programs um, in May. Now, um, coming to our lesson today, I first of all, I'd like to introduce Maria Manchos. Maria is a freelance journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post Magazine, and the Boston Globe, among other publications. She is interested in exploring the complexities of human experience, what lies below the surface of our communities, our relationships, our Instagram accounts. Um, she's fascinated by how we find a sense of belonging in the world and is a co-founder of Clio, a writing business that helps individuals and families tell and capture their life's most important stories and experiences. Maria um, studied humanities and French at Brigham Young University. She has a master's degree in uh, journalism from Boston University. Uh, Maria is a native of Kiev, Ukraine. And in, since the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, she has evacuated her parents from Kiev. They now live with her family in Somerville, Massachusetts. 
Maria attends the Cambridge First Ward in Cambridge, Massachusetts with her husband and three children. And her has a long history with Dialogue. Some years ago, she was the business manager for Dialogue. Uh, as with every speaker and participant, we invite Maria for her voice, for her personal insights. Not She is not representing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She is not representing the Dialogue Foundation, um, but she is here speaking for herself. Um, I'd also like to introduce to um, uh, participants who will be offering prayers. Uh, Lilia Velbovets Wurtz. Hello, Lilia. Uh, Lilia will be offering the opening prayer in Ukrainian. Um, is that right? See you nod. Uh, Lilia is from Kiev, Ukraine. After a few years of attending the Kiev Shevchenko University's Institute of International Affairs, she graduated with a BA from BYU in public relations and an MA in mass communications. She is currently working in the nonprofit sector and lives with her husband and one and a half year old son, uh, Maxime. Is that right? Maxime in the Seattle area. Lilia's family evacuated from Ukraine and is now in Poland. Um, and Bonnie, I don't know if Bonnie's with us yet. We'll um, introduce her anyway. Uh, Bonnie El Halta will offer the closing prayer. Bonnie was born and raised in Southern California. She is the daughter of a Palestinian father and a Mayflower descendant mother, which made her love for the world ever so strong. Bonnie spent the last year living in the Middle East, where she served with the USO, the United Service Organizations. And over that year, she was grateful for her membership in the church, which gave her immediate connections as she served in Iraq, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and Kuwait. She's currently back in Utah. Um, I hope not with us yet, uh, currently back in Utah and enjoys being close to family and friends. Now, we're going to begin with music and then we'll have music at the end. Um, the opening music is in recognition of Earth Day yesterday. Um, it's called Earth Song, sung by Vachis 8. And um, I'm going to read you the lyrics uh, quickly. Uh, sing, be, live, see. This dark stormy hour, the wind it stirs. The scorched earth cries out in me. O war and power, you blind and blur, the torn heart cries out in pain. But music and singing have been my refuge, and music and singing shall be my light. A light of song, singing strong. Alleluia. Through darkness, pain and strife. I'll sing, be, live, see, peace. Lilia? Наш дорогий небесний батько, ми дуже вдячні тобі за цю можливість спілкуватися разом, про можливість вчитися разом. І незважаючи на те, де ми зараз знаходимося, ми дуже вдячні за Можливість мати підтримку один одного. Ми просимо благословити нас з Твоїм Духом, щоб ми могли розуміти Твої слова і могли мати натхнення і підтримку в цей тяжкий час. Просимо благословіння на сім'ї, які зараз знаходяться в такому важкому стані і які мають ризик до свого життя в Україні. І сім'ї, які зараз не знаходяться разом і роз'єднані. Ми просимо благословити їх, щоб вони мали спокій і могли мати надію, і могли мати знання, що вони будуть збережені. Ми просимо благословення на всіх тих, хто зараз а, святкує а, Пасху і плаче, і хто а, втратив сім'ю або знайомих. Будь ласка, Допоможе їм тішити їхнє серце і щоб вони могли відчути світло сьогодні і могли відчути надію. Ми просимо благословити нас, щоб ми могли знати, як краще підтримати наших знайомих і рідних, щоб ми пройшли через цей час гідно і могли розуміти твій план для нас. І ми все це кажемо в місце за Христа. Амінь. Амінь.
Thank you so much for that beautiful prayer. I hope um, I hope I wasn't the only one who could understand it, but maybe I was, but that's okay. Um, uh, I love how, Lilia, you said uh, that you're praying for people to feel the to feel the light and feel the hope. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to think about light. It's not something that we see, but we can feel. Um, so um, thank you for that. And um, I am just really grateful to be here with everybody. Um, when I uh, was asked to uh, teach uh, today, I had no idea that it would be such a an important day for a number of reasons. Yesterday was um, the last day of Passover, and today is Orthodox Easter, um, and it's uh, it's the day that I've celebrated Easter um, most of my life. Well, not most of my life, but for a big part of my life uh, growing up in Ukraine. And um, this morning, a few of us from my uh, Cambridge ward. Um, were were able to go to an Orthodox church um, here in Boston and join other Ukrainians in <clears throat> a special Easter service and um, join them in grief and in hope, celebrate, celebrating um, the resurrection of Christ and um, amid so much suffering and loss of life that is happening um, in Ukraine. And... Um, um, a little bit, just to tell you a little bit about Pascha, Eastern Ukraine, it's, we call it Veligden, is another name for it, the holiday, and it means the great day, and um, according to an ancient legend, um, Christ, when Christ was born, the days were so long that you'd need seven of them to make up one day, um, and then when Christ was crucified, the days became shorter. Um, so uh you know even after joining the church i feel like there was a transition of when we just we just got more holidays in our family and we would celebrate the easter last week and then the julian calendar easter and we would go to my grandmother's house and she would have had a basket blessed at the orthodox church with um the 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 bread and the eggs um and the sausage and we would just feast together and think of new life and resurrection and um, um, I also think about um, something that I've, I've thought about today at the service is how, um, how, you know, growing up, I didn't really think of myself as a member of a people necessarily. Um, I feel like this, this understanding has been... Um, strengthened and advanced through over the years when Ukraine has been thrust into, um, you know, conflicts and oppression. Um, and I've been thinking in the context of Exodus as well, um, how this formation of a people is a process and it is often, often accompanied by, you know, tumultuous events and it's, um, it's a process of um, uh, shaping and molding and understanding that is constant, that is ongoing, where people are, you know, grappling with their identity. They're grappling with the newly found freedom in the new land, um, in new space, um, where where they have to understand um, what they believe in and what they need to go to the promised land. And um, I, yeah, and so I think it's, it's fascinating that, um, yeah, in Exodus, we see Israelites as a people going through these, these series of events, and they're encountering miracles, and, you know, they're a chosen people, yet their life is not luxurious, and they're still um, they're going through this process of formation um, through adversity and um, and also I was as I'm thinking of sort of how we think of ourselves as a people, how I think of myself as part of the Ukrainian people, and how 
we talk about Israelites as a people. I also want to, I think about how, while we talk about them as a group of, um, a, a collective, right? There's also um, change that happens within each person individually. Um, and that a change as a people is, is in a way impossible without um, individual change that happens within us. So I want to be mindful of that um, as we discuss these chapters today. Um, so we're going to start in chapter 18, um, where we have um, Jethro coming to uh, Moses. Jethro is um, Moses's father-in-law, and they have an encounter. They haven't seen each other for a while, and um, Jethro brings um, Moses's wife Zipporah and um, their two sons to Moses. So there's this big reunion after after some time when they didn't see each other. I believe maybe probably for years. And um, Jethro is an important person for Moses. Um, you know, when Moses was, um, you know, Moses, when Moses met um, Zipporah by, by the well, he was introduced to Jethro and Jethro brought, brought Moses sort of this vagabond, a man without a home into his family. So um, Jethro is not an Israelite, but he is a, uh, He's a he's a he's a, a close person to Moses. Um, so they reconnect um, and they have this warm encounter where they you know embrace and Moses um, uh, kisses uh, Jethro and you know Jethro's been following what's been happening to the people of Israel and their liberation uh, and finally he gets to hear the first hand account from. Um, from Jeth, uh, from Moses. So Moses kind of recounts the story, what happened, all the wonderful things. And Jethro's like, yes, your God is great. Um, I, uh, he says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods for in the thing wherein um, they dealt proudly, he was above them. So um, what, what happens then is Jethro just watches Moses um, do his day job. So Moses sits there with people lined up, um, coming to him, says day and night, they are um, coming to him to be judged. So he judges people. He helps them resolve their disputes. Um, and Jethro very perceptively um, notices that what, what Moses is doing is too much. He he has all these people. He's alone dealing with all sorts of issues, and um, he needs to do something about this. And um, what I love about this um, this the situation is that um, Moses has, who's been you know in this position of leadership for some time now he. He's a prophet, but he is not able to perceive something as we would think as obvious as like, how can you handle so much? But he needs somebody who is who is has some distance from what he's doing, um, from the issues of everyday life to be able to perceive that maybe he needs help. Maybe he needs to come up with another system. And Jethro here is going to. Um, give give Moses an important advice that's going to sort of revamp their um, judiciary, their administrative system, how he's going to, how he's going to judge people. But first I want to actually read some verses. Um, uh, I want to read, uh, let's see. Um, okay. So uh, Jethro tells Moses, um, Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thy alone. And uh, I, um, I've thought about what... Um, 
about this as an, an important lesson in um, delegation and leadership and learning to discern when something is too heavy for us. Do we always acknowledge um, that something is too difficult or, or too unbearable? What do we do then? I feel like in the church, we have high expectations. We love to show that we can do a lot of things. We can take on a lot. But um, but understanding, it's important to understand what our work and what our role is and when it is time to delegate. And I love to think of ourselves as um, all of us as leaders, right? Moses is a, a prophet, but, you know, I think we're all leaders as parents, as professors, as artists, as um, siblings. We all have people who we counsel uh, in a one way or another um, and who we, can, we, we are examples to. And I think one of the one of the marks of a successful leader is um, someone who can see another person with dignity and respect and empower them to independently make decisions. So allowing others to bear our burdens is um, is an act of leadership, but it's also an opportunity for others to um, to also grow. Um, so maybe this is some a question that we can ponder together. Um, how do we allow people that we work with, that we serve with, to bear our burdens, um, to share, share carrying our burdens? Do we let go enough to empower others to grow and become leaders themselves? Um, so people are welcome to, I'll just keep talking, but if anybody has thoughts, you can, you can, um, drop it in the chat and feel free to interrupt me and share. Um, um, and I think it's an important lesson for a formation of a community where power is decentralized and you don't have just one person in charge, but everybody can share. So to the, to get to the heart of the council, basically, Jethro tells Moses that you need to delegate cases to other priests and um, basically have smaller ones, have them deal with those and bring more complicated ones to Moses. And, um, and interestingly, Moses willingly accepts the counsel. He's like, yes, I will do this. Um, and, you know, uh, it's an act of humility and it's an act of also just recognizing, yes, like, thank you for seeing that. So um, I love that, that, it, that, that, that they have that relationship where they can do that. Um, um, so another interesting uh, moment here that I wanted to highlight was um when Jethro tell, gives, gives Moses this counsel, he says, um, so in verse 19, he says, Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God word, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Um, and this is, this is, I think, obviously, I'm pretty sure this is unique to the this translation, because uh, I looked at a couple others, and God word doesn't appear there. But I love that uh, that phrase because um, you know it implies a kind of movement. Um, so we talk, we say you know backward, inward, forward, upward. Um, so um, you know the, the word "ward" comes from an English word "turn." So there is this sort of um, movement that comes with with this thinking about um, coming to God, understanding God, worshiping God. And, um, and I love thinking about that in terms of how we understand God, that we, we almost, we understand him in turning toward him in, in this constant movement toward him in arriving toward him. And so perhaps we don't arrive fully or we will arrive at one day, but um, that Godward can be a state that we're in and the state can be a constant movement and a constant arriving. 
Um, so I love, um, so I love just thinking about that. Um, now let's see. Um, um, Maria, there are a couple of comments yes. here. I, I'm, I, I mean, I'm reflecting as we, as you, as you teach here on the idea that they, um, what could be a story of uh, like a hero story about God or about Moses is more a story of a people uh, developing a people and of, of other people coming into the picture to, um, to help here. A couple of comments here. Often I have seen converts to the church, primarily men never called to positions of leadership because they did not serve missions as young men. They did not have that opportunity. They're denied growth and fellowship in this way. Um, yeah, I mean, think I, 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 I'll, I'll suggest that Jethro might be a might, might be a, a case in point or an example, a counterexample. Yeah. Um. Yeah, a, a good counterexample. I don't have an answer. I don't know, <laughs> but um, or maybe maybe a model, maybe a model for how we um, could or should be working with um, people who are who who don't have those um, who aren't part of the group to begin with, but come in later. Mm-hmm. Um, so this also has me thinking. I recently. Um, I recently reread a talk that Hugh Nibley gave at BYU um, many years ago uh, where he talks about uh, the difference between inspired leadership and ambitious management, (laughs) Um, these kind of models of leadership. uh, And I I really like kind of how you're, um, I mean, this is getting me to think about like what inspired leadership looks like, and it's not um, kind of this, you know, top down, um, um, that it's, that it's about developing community, uh, not just asserting individual power. Uh, it's about, you know, attention to developing a people, uh, and to sharing burdens and sharing, uh, growth. So, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for these thoughts. I also thought of another kind of uh, um, reading of it um, in terms of leadership in the church where, I mean, Jethro, he counsels the the prophet, you know, Uh, I mean, that's also, that's gutsy, you know, and that's something he, he, uh, he does because he sees the need. And I just think of like, do we I don't know. This this is an example of how yeah, I mean prophets need help and and prophets or le- you know leaders in the church, right? They maybe this is our place to when we notice something there is a way that is respectful and inspired to point out when something can be done maybe slightly better. And I think that I think there's this like sometimes like okay, they know what to do best. Like I'm not even going to engage with it because um i trust them and and there's there's room for that for that trust in in leaders who hopefully will take care of you but um but also like not being passive but being an active member of your community where you know you don't blindly accept everything that leaders however high rank they may be to just tell you um uh tell you what to do or how things should operate um, so what's what, what in so what we have in chapter 19 and 20 is kind of a big moment and I wanted to linger here um, and so basically we have you know people uh, are now sort of uh, three months into um, the wilderness or three months since they left um, Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they're setting up camp. And they are preparing for an important moment when God's going to offer to them to enter into a covenant with them. And uh, 
we're going to have some interruptions from like the standard narrative here and have some teachings um, from God through Moses um, to the people and through Moses as an intermediary. So um, my, the, just to point out wilderness, an interesting location here chosen to have have this series of events for Moses and the people where it's, you know, it's secluded, it's separated. There's nobody else. There is, it's away from civilization. Um, supposed to, supposedly no distractions, but we'll, we'll see that people will find some um, later on. And um, here's where God's going to make a unique offer to the people of Israel to be a peculiar treasure, treasured possession um, in some translations. And what that means is, as he explains later, um, he wants to make them the kingdom of priests as a holy and a holy nation. Um, and, you know, it's an important story. It's an important definition for Israel. It's um, part of the core narrative, their core narrative. Um, and it's also a narrative that is kind of sprinkled all throughout the scripture. Um, uh, it's in the Book of Mormon. It's in... Um, the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, so these are these events are fundamental and foundational to Israel as a formation of a people. And um, so here's what, so Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and here's what God tells him. Um, let me ask if Lilia is there or somebody can read four to six. Or Chris or Rebecca or anybody who. I'm there. sorry. Give me the four to six in, in 19. Three to six. In verse in chapter 19. Yeah. Okay. Ye have seen. This is the King James Version. Uh, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Then shall ye be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Um, thank you. I love the, the first of all, I just want to, like, I love the poetry of that first line that I bear you on eagle's wings and brought, brought you unto myself. I read somewhere that when, you know, a, a, an eagle carries it, it's, um, little eagles on its back um so uh it does that to protect them from hunter's arrow that would have to pass through the mother um i would guess maybe a father probably mother <laughs> um to before getting to the to the to the babies and i love that because it just shows how protective god just a nice metaphor for how protective god was um of the of the children of israel um and I and so this 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 passage here has an interesting order of how how things are organized and I want to I want to I want to talk about that. Um the so first um God says that I I saved you, okay? And therefore um you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. So I think this conjunction is has sort of a, an important significance because um, the Lord says, so I did this for you and this is why you should trust me. Um, so they've already experienced God and they've already seen some evidence of his greatness and they should be able to trust him. Um, so he has this, this, he points out like you have knowledge, you have some knowledge, now have some faith. Um, so I think we we sometimes think of right faith and knowledge as you know kind of in conflict, whereas here um, faith is strengthened by knowledge, um, and often the more you know, that more faith you have. Um, so I want us to think about how how is it that our faith can be strengthened by knowledge. Um, and what's that? And what what is that relationship? What does it look like for you? Um, um, 
so there's also this this uh, interesting order where you know God God points out you know his grand act came and then he 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 creates a path for people to become and I think that's how how Christ works with us too he saves us and then he creates a path for us to become so he you know it's an act of putting faith um, and trust in people too just as much as people should be putting faith and trust in God so it's this kind of you know we talk about as a covenantal relationship of of where both parties don't just you know we agree to things conditions um, but the two parties are also sustained by trust and faith in each other. And I think that is, um, it's an interesting thing to think about when we consider our personal relationship with God, um, how he's sustained by our faith. Um, I have, I was perusing this book that my, um, my, my friend Joe gave me Joe grew up Catholic, but converted to Orthodox Judaism um, a few years ago. And it's called seek my face, seek my name by uh, Rabbi Arthur green, who lives maybe in Boston. He teaches at Brandeis, I think, but he talks about this relationship between liberation and covenant. Um, And he points out that, um, Egypt came before Sinai. And um, so here's what he says. Mind and word are both in bondage. The series of events that leads, leads to Sinai begins in Egypt. The word cannot be spoken with us until the mind is freed from its constrictions. But the link between Egypt and Sinai is crucial um, on other levels as well. Sinai is an act of covenant and commitment, the marriage of God and Israel, we're not able to make such a commitment until we are free, until we are whole enough to turn fully to the other. So I love thinking about that relationship between um, liberation and commitment, that liberation precedes commitment. Um, and I think there's a lot to unpack here, but let's think for a moment how in our lives um, what kind of personal liberation um, needs to precede a full commitment and devotion to God? Um, what stands in our way to fully embracing God with our minds and in our, with our hearts? And I think we can flip that pretty easily and talk about how when we commit, um, when we enter into a covenant with God, we receive greater liberation and so I keep thinking about that, what goes before what, and um, what I've come to is that it is a constant um, movement, and it's a constant exchange of, of we, we need to be liberated of things before we can commit. And, and then, you know, when we, when we um, commit to God, we feel freer, and then maybe this process continues on. So. When we think of liberation, like, what can that mean? Um, and, and you know, we often think, like, li- liberated from sin, right? But, or liberated from some sort of things that prevent us from, um, um, from being with God. But I, I also like to think about it as maybe the things that, that, that things that we embrace and that liberation comes when we embrace our weaknesses and um, that we embrace the certain realities of our lives or pain or suffering or things that we're trying to run away from. And that, that acceptance helps us um, more authentically commit to uh, Christ and form these covenants that we are actually, you know, we're not forced into, but we're willingly come to. Um, so Rabbi Green also says revelation depends on freedom. Um, so I, I think that's, that's a, that's an interesting thing to also ponder. So anyway, if anybody has thoughts on kind of this, like personal liberation and, um, its relationship to commitment, um, please share. Um, so, um, 
let's see. Um, so, so, so here, here, here we have this proposal and people are like, yes, we're on board. We will do, um, let's see, what are the exact words? We will do um, everything. So I, so I do have a thought about the liberation. If you, <laughs> we might, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for comments, but so I'll, I'll vamp for a minute here. Um, one thing that occurs to me is I think about um, when I got baptized and when I went to the temple and when I went on a mission. And if you asked for an honest answer, why did you do those things? It would probably be because my mother told me so. And um, there's a kind of liberation from because she told me so to a like a personal decision. This is what I want to do. This is what I choose to do. That, that, and, and that, that is a process that I think fits your, your liberation, liberation before commitment uh, model. Um, not that I, not that my mother was wrong, but that, that, um, that it's a, it's a, it's, it's a different, you liberate from one to move on to the next, to move on to another level of, of, of commitment making. Yeah, I've loved thinking about that too. And it seems to connect as well with um, what you're saying about the relationship between knowledge and faith that um, often they're set up in opposition, right? Rather than um, actually the the knowledge, the kind of understanding of how God operates, um, you know, comes before he's asking um, for this commitment, making this covenant. Uh, and the idea of liberation, uh, in part as, um, you know, a freeing of the imagination <laughs> um, that comes from knowledge, right? It comes from understanding um, that, that that's part of liberation, right? That, that kind of understanding and knowledge that then you can come to um, build a different kind of faith and have a different kind of commitment and level of, of covenant. Um, we've got different folks talking about, you know, different meanings of liberation, um, liberation from worldly things, really, um, you know, centering on God, putting God first, um, accepting our humanness um, and the, the imperfection and that that's okay. That's, that's who we are, where, where we're at. Um, yeah. Thank you. So um, the people, it sounds really great to the people of Israel. They are on board. Um, they want to do everything that God has proposed. Now, um, now the Lord now says, okay, well, um, well, first God knows that people get cranky, that they murmur and that they lose faith. Um, so he decides to, um, seal the covenant uh, with the manifestation of his presence. So he says that he's going to show up um, himself. Um, so this is verse 11. He says, um, and be ready for the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. So, um, so they're going to have an encounter with him or so they so, so, so the plan is right now. And um, um, because they want, um, so God, God, God wants to do this for Moses too. So people would believe him. Um, so he just knows that, you know, this would be a good for the people. Um, and so he, he kind of, you know, as we prepare for anything sacred, God says, he, has, he gives people three days to prepare. Um, for entering into uh, this, 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 um, for this, um, 
this theophany, we, we, we call it, right? This act of entering in the covenant and um, the God's appearance. And so they, he tells them to get clean, to wash their clothes, to abstain from sex. So be extra pure on that day. And, um, you know, I, 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 I love to think about how do we prepare for the possibility of the divine, divine encounter, um, so we move from thing to thing and right, we pray and we may, we may we read our scriptures and, but do we always encounter God there? And I think that preparation may mean different things for, um, for, for, for us. Um, but that's something that we can, we can consider is um, how can we prepare for the encounter with the divine to make our spiritual experience richer Maybe it's putting away our phones. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, whatever it may be. But um, considering that the, the divine encounter is not the moment itself, but it's something that uh, precedes it and something that follows it also. Um, um, so, so basically, so the people are now, um, um, so, so the third day comes and we have um, God appearing in the cloud and he is very, he is, um, you know, there's thunder and lightning and he is, um, tells people to set bounds around the mountain so they cannot go close. So they can, um, basically they're supposed to see him, but I think the plan here changes and the Lord says unto Moses, go down, charge people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and men, many of them perish. So they, they're not going to be able to see him. Um, and that's interesting. Um, and in the next chapter, after the Lord reveals the Ten Commandments, we'll see that people are, um, they're just not quite okay with hearing, encountering God himself. They don't want to hear his voice even they they want to retreat they want moses to be their mediator and uh i i love like thinking about that eagerness to enter into the covenant and the eagerness to live up to that special status of being the peculiar people and the actual actions of um not quite being willing to face god directly um and i relate to that because i think of how many times i am over eager to do things right and and then fall short uh and i i i think of also here i think we have this incredible incredible experience of um of awe right that god is revealing himself in a way that's that's just incredible and people are in awe and they are they want to submit their will will but you know it's different it's a different thing to like be in awe of god and actually commit to him and follow his will so i kind of like thinking about that distinction between you know awe and actual um an actual like submission of our will um israelites were consistently in awe of god but it didn't mean that they were willing to submit to him it's easy to conflate faith with the feelings of awe and i think in a way, faith comes from the feelings of awe, but I, I think that um, the spirit can manifest God's glory to us, and but without the tangible acts and the everyday acts of submission and submission of our will in particular, which is a, a, a process, a process that is ongoing, right? Like we can't... Um, we can't um, enter into God's presence. We can't fully, um, um, we can't come to him in that way. Um, so we, we need that submission of will um, as opposed to just kind of being in awe. Um, and uh, I also like, it's interesting that, um, yeah, so with the thunder and lightning and the, the boundary, so it's God's kind of sets up this 
incredible promise for the people. But then he's like, well, don't do this. And there's all this, there's these restrictions. And to me, it's very evocative of um, Garden of Eden and uh, kind of resemblance to how God spoke um, to Adam and Eve about the tree of life. Um, and if we consider um, this proposed relationship as an opportunity to get back to what was lost in the Garden of Eden, which is um, access to God's presence, we can see that God is willing to try this again. But things go, um, things go not as planned. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, I, I want to, we are running out of time really quickly, um, but I want to jump to the next chapter of um, the Ten Commandments, um, because this is, these are important. These are important. We talk about them a lot. And I think that um, we, um, I want to talk about the Ten Commandments and sort of our relationship to the law in general in that context. And our relationship to um, just just in general, how these, these the Ten Commandments um, they are they represent relationships, relationships to God, our relationship to God or with God, and our relationship with with the people, uh, with others, our um, our families, our neighbors, strangers. And we can also argue that uh, they represent the relationship with ourselves. Um, some of them are quite internal uh, or that would require a process through which we have to grapple with our own. They're not so much measured by the law, but um, or uh, they'll be quite hard to be punished, uh, be punished by the law, but they are... Um, like the do not covet, right? Like how do you how do you punish that by the law? So um so yeah, so basically there's two relationships that we're thinking about. And um it's interesting that uh so um the, the were these new um the Ten Commandments and f- from sort of my research, I understand that people intuitively knew that some of these commandments, right? Uh, I mean, some of them are pretty obvious. Um, some based on like moral and ethical principles that you think people would understand: kill, steal. However, you know, this is a um, this is kind of a new community in a way. People don't quite have any rules, and and these commandments codify these. Um, guidelines and guiding principles to so to to help them kind of cultivate this different mentality of a people um that don't that, that they're not slaves anymore right and so they need to be able to think of how they operate differently and how they govern themselves and how they behave um in relations to each other and to god um so uh, my friend also uh, called it, I really like, he said, it's a, like a spiritual graduation, right? Like God is like, you ha- can have now these responsibilities. Um, so it's also an act of nation building, these commandments. Um, now there were, I believe there were like 613 mitzvahs. So there's like many, many l- laws. And these are particularly are singled out. Um, I don't know why exactly, but, you know, possibly they summarize other laws um, particularly well, and they they are uh, you know foundational. Um, and so I let's see. I wanted to talk talk through a few of them, um, and let me try to do that really quick. Um, so first of all, I just want to point out that you know when when Christ is asked of the two main command, which ones are most important, he points out that it is the um, love thy God, uh, love God. Uh, let's see, I have it somewhere here. I don't know exactly. God, love God with all thy heart, thy mind, and love your neighbor. And it's interesting to also think about how you know. A lot of all of these commandments really kind of hang on those two. Um, that 
that those two foundational ones, these although the further ones kind of explain um, explain them. Um, so again, to emphasize the point about it, them being about relationships, um, I I feel like some of these commandments I've always sort of like this is not my context. Like we live in a different age. Like the like um, thou shall not make unto thee any graven image, right? I I thought of that commandment and I just was trying to how can each of them be applicable to me and this one. Um, You know, I've thought of how we may not be creating, um, you know, idols, but it's it's almost like when we try to understand or interpret God um, too much, we 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 we, I guess, like later as we've seen the golden calf, right? And we can look at that story in different ways, but I see it partly as a way to understand God to to create these things that we can grasp onto to like we need something to hold on to and maybe this is the maybe this is what what the right thing is right uh and maybe not and probably not but we just need something and um i like thinking of like our our yearning to understand <laughs> just sometimes we've refashion God into a certain image to in, in an effort to understand him. And it may not be an idol um, or like a tangible image, but it can be a um, just like our own understanding of what God is. And to me, that is an, an kind of image, um, a kind of graven image, maybe. So I don't know, this just to me, this commandment, uh, as I thought about it more this time, it is a bit more about um, trying to get closer to God, but allow for for allow for for this <laughs> for some for for um, uh, for Him to be mysterious and not try to limit um, ourselves or try to limit God with reason and and allow things to be not understood. So. Um, that's what I thought about with, um, that commandment. Um, let's see, I'm going to skip over and I just wanted to share a thought, um, that really resonated with me. Um, I actually heard it on a, uh, sort of, this is more about sort of how we view, um, sinning and breaking commandments and breaking the law in general. And, um, I, I saw what, well, anyway, it's a thought from Adam Miller so, and, uh, it, I I, I uh, heard on a podcast, Faith Matters podcast recently, but it really resonated with me because um, he talks about sort of sin in um, in the context of sin, but about our relationship to the law. So he says it's it's not necessarily the sins may not lie necessarily breaking the commandment or the way we can think about it, um, but in how we how we uh, use the law to tell the story that we want to tell. So if we want to, you know, often we try to use the law to tell the story that we deserve something or that other people deserve something or don't deserve something. Um, And that's ultimately like a sinful way to view the law and view these these guidelines when we try to kind of use them to... um, to say that somebody needs some reward or some punishment. And so instead, here's the, the, the Christian relationship to the law, the way that is that we should view it. Um, so I'll just read it. Um, so I just think it's so good. But whenever you're using the law, okay, so um, what a Christian relationship to the law looks like, I think, is instead of using the law to tell a story about what people deserve on the basis of their actions, what happens is that you start instead to use the law as a way of deciding what is needed here and, and now in light of life circumstances so that the law becomes a kind of guide in the work of love rather than fundamentally a tool of reward or punishment. And that in the end is the only way to actually fulfill the law because the law can only be fulfilled by love. Um, 
anyway, but I love thinking, the, you know, even in the context of current situation with Russia and Ukraine, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's crazy to think that by breaking all the commandments, the Russians can say that they're doing something noble, um, that they're doing some sort of self performing some sort of salvation, right? By <laughs> anyway, so this is one way to take uh, to take um, the laws uh, and fashion them into a story that you want to tell, which is ultimately not what God wants us to uh, to do, because the true obedience lies in um, specificity and and in 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 particular. Uh, particularly of our situation. Um, so like Adam says here beautifully. Um, all right. Well, um, I can keep going or tell me what to do. Um, Maria, I think, I think given the hour, you should find your, um, your wrap up comment, which, which might be that Adam Miller quote, but I, but I put that back to you. Um, and then I would hope to have some um, closing and uh, and and a conversation afterward. No, I don't know if I have a quote to uh, sum up anything, uh, except that I have to. I think I'm sometimes this is like maybe a very big picture that is not really. Per- <laughs> uh, but just like reading in general, the scriptures and the Old Testament. Um, like, I, I I think part of me is sometimes skeptical of how much we love to expound on things that like, is it true? What did, is that what God wanted to us to learn? Or what, what does it say here? And I love um, the idea that uh, I think the, in the in Judaism and Jewish tradition, people like this is how you read the scripture. That's the whole purpose. You expound. You want to find the m- the the meanings the more meanings there are the the better from what I understand this I might be wrong but this is how my friend when we talked about it he's like yeah Torah like he was as we we were read a few verses together and he was like looking up what the names mean and the translations and the words and I just love that because um it sort of points to this inexhaustible quality of the scriptures and maybe that <laughs> the confusing parts are the ones that uh we shouldn't skip over but talk about and it's okay to have a lot of interpretations and visions and and maybe it's an obvious point but to me it's sort of position it kind of made me a little more interested in exploring the scriptures and the old testament and um because it's uh because i feel like god encourages to he's found in the seeking he's found in the arriving um and uh anyway the people of israel they just keep their they're on their way they got a lot to learn and they are um and god's trying to meet them where they're at and i i just love that theme as well through these chapters is you know uh they're not ready for um for what god has prepared for them yet god's meeting them where they're at um and he's giving them things that can help them you know, be on their way. Um, and I, anyway, I think that's what I love to think about that in our personal lives, that God meets us where we're at, even when we're not fully ready for the understanding that, um, you know, the ultimate understanding and God's presence, I suppose. Anyway, so there it is. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Maria, thank you. Um, We have questions and comments. We'll come back, I think, after after we close and hope hope you can stay with us for a few minutes more and have some conversation. But um, we'll close now with some um, music and uh, and a closing prayer. Um, The music, if I can make this work is uh, Bruckner's Ausjusti Meditabatur, which is a setting of Psalm 37, verses 30 and 31. The text would read like this, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and their tongues speak justice. 
The law of their God is in their hearts, and their feet do not falter. Alleluia. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Perfect. Our dear kind Heavenly Father, we are indeed grateful for this opportunity we've had to gather and the freedom that we've had to gather. We're grateful for the words that have been shared by Maria and for the opportunity that we have to learn and to continue to be inspired. We're grateful, Father, for the Sabbath day and for the knowledge that we have of thee and of thy son. We're grateful for the scriptures and for the interpretations of the scriptures that allow us to continue to learn. We pray, Father, that as we go about this week, that we might ponder the things which we have heard and be able to apply them into our lives. How do we best continue to learn and to, more importantly, grow closer to thee and to thy son? We're grateful, Father, for the blessings in our lives and pray for those that are in need and are suffering at this time. May we be mindful of how we can contribute to make a difference and add value in all the things that we do. May we be good stewards of thee. May we be able to understand how we can help those that are around us and uh, to be able to lift those that are, are down. We're grateful, Father, for all that we have, and we are especially grateful for the knowledge that we have of the end of thy son. And these things we pray and say in, in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, it's so good to see you, sweetheart. <laughs> You've been listening to the Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.